Hi, this is Laura. And this is Nikki with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love. We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small, actionable steps, and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Laura, who are we talking to today? Well, today we're talking to my talented friend, Miranda Vandenhovel. Miranda's an artist and creative life coach living in Luxembourg. She loves to inspire change through creativity. As a life coach, she inspires people to go from reacting to creating their lives. As an artist, she draws parallels between art and life, making the process so much more fun, personal, and valuable. Over the last 10 years, Miranda has taught art and life coaching retreats, creative thinking corporate workshops, given a TEDx talk, hosted in-person and online workshops, and created hundreds of pieces of art. She also happens to speak seven languages, manage a full-time day job, and is raising two boys at the same time. She is a great example of a stardust, someone who does not let fear or procrastination keep them from starting and making progress on their art biz. A couple of years ago, Miranda began offering commissions of her artwork, and she'll be sharing more about that process with us today. Welcome, Miranda, to the Stardust Society. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you here. Why don't we start by having you tell us how you got started as an artist and how you created your own art business? Oh, I was born an artist. I think, we, <laughs> I think we're all born artists. And then we go to school and then creativity gets kicked out of us, unfortunately, because we have to fit some sort of norm, right? Right. Um, but yeah, so after, after that creativity was kicked out of me in school, I, I took some classes and I actually took a class by Flora Bali. She's an intuitive uh, painter who kind of got my, my painting mojo going. I, I, it really kicked in when I took her online class. And, uh, since then, I've just been, I, I have my own studio now. And since then, I've just been painting lots and lots and lots. So what, what stage of your life did you take that class? You were already working full time. Did you already have kids? Yes, I was already working. I had two kids. I was divorced. So I was a single, single mom. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I was, I was looking for like a balance in life because I have a corporate job, which can sometimes be very corporate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was looking for creativity and had already started a, a little sidekick, but uh, I wanted to, to take it to the next level and offer it at, at work, but also to other people. And that's how I basically got started. So you started out with creating art and then you started developing and creating a a coaching practice and offering workshops or how did that develop? I think they all kind of happened at the same time, but when you try to think about when did I do what, it kind of overlaps. So I did a, I did a life coaching certification and don't ask me when that was somewhere in the middle of all the, (laughs) somewhere in the middle of all the painting and the creating and the raising kids and the corporate job working. Um, but then I thought, hey, why not combine the two? Why not combine anything creative, artsy, 
with life coaching. And so I was looking for creative ways to, to do that. I started organizing retreats for women because I went mm -hmm. on a retreat myself in 2009 where I met Laura. This is true. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I came back from that retreat, that retreat for me was, was pretty life-changing. And when I came back from it, I was like, I want to do one of those retreats every year. And so I was looking at, this was in the US, I live in Europe. I'm like, I'm not going to go to the US every year because that's just too expensive. So I was looking for retreats in my area to go to regularly. And there was nothing. They were either too new agey or religious or something. And so I thought, well, if, if it isn't there, then I'll have to create it myself. So I started creating my own retreat. Perfect. Which is being a stardust, right? Yes. Absolutely. How do you even start with creating a retreat? Uh, I started by making a vision board. Nice. Yes. And so that was in 2010. And I had my first retreat in 2011. And the funny thing was that when I was at that retreat with my women, there were, um, so I was showing them the vision board and somebody noticed that on my vision board were eight women and on the retreat were eight women. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's the power of manifestation right there. That is the power of manifestation. <laughs> totally. So what types of things did you have at your retreat? What was available for people when you started out and you were saying, okay, this doesn't exist. I want to create something. What did you offer in your retreats? It was all about um, life coaching. And the first day was mainly about setting your intention and getting clarity and making a vision board. And then the second day was like, well, okay, now we have a vision of how our life should be or how we want it to be, that vision board life. But there's mm -hmm. so much in our normal life that isn't like that yet. So what obstacles do we need to clear away to get to that dream life? So the second day was all about where is my energy going? What do I need to eliminate? What steps do I need to take to go from this A to B? I need that coaching. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you have to come to Luxembourg. Now, I know I actually attended one of your retreats in Germany, and we also had some yoga in there and some other things. It was really amazing to have that time to get away. And I think you're you're right. Giving yourself that that space enables you to develop and look forward to what is next for you in your life. Totally. Um, so I think it's fabulous when you provide that to others. Uh, but then the art wasn't as much involved in that particular retreat. But now you've also developed teaching some art classes, right? Um, and online courses and things like that. So how has that developed for you? So after the the more life coaching retreat, I I did actually an, an art yoga retreat where I combined the the massages, the yoga with with some art making as well. And um, in the meantime, I moved to a bigger house where there was a sort of room downstairs that I turned into a studio. And I thought, well, whatever I have learned, I would really like to pass that on and give intuitive painting classes to people that live around here. And obviously, when you do that in person, you're like, well, how can I take this to the next level and, right. you know, take it online so that I can reach the world? And that, that's, that's not always easy because if you're on your own and you have a day job and kids and life, <laughs> uh, you have to figure out everything by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, like you guys are doing with, with oh, yeah. podcasting and oh, all yeah. that. Mm -hmm. 
And so it took a while. It took me, I think, about two years before I got some sort of um, online courses going. And my offer is still limited, um, but I'm very proud of what I have created. So I have a few e-courses that are email-based, but I also have some video courses on how to be creative in your everyday life. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about commissions. So a couple of years ago, I think you had you started dabbling into commissions. So why don't you tell us how you got started in that process? I didn't start dabbing into it. <laughs> like like life happens to you when when you're busy making plans. Some company got, contacted me and said, "We want to commission an art piece," and I was like, "Yay!" But then I was like, oh my God, how do I do this? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know how, I don't know what. And so being the creative me, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to set up a meeting with the company and we talk about, you know, where is this going and what do you want and what is your budget? And so I created the first piece for them, which was a huge one. It It was very big. It was a triptych. So three big wooden panels that went into their conference room. And it was also uh, very not like my art. So my art is very colorful and floral. And they ordered something that was more, they they were a nautical company. So they wanted something Mm -hmm. that was very nautical and manly and rustic. So I managed (laughs) to do that. So how did they find you? Um, Through a friend. So a friend were, you know, it's always like that. It's the connections, right? right? Definitely. Definitely. a friend of mine knows the person that was working at that company and they were talking and saying, you know, we have all these empty walls. Do you know any artists? And he recommended me. And so there you go. I just always wonder when somebody comes and says, we love your work. We want to hire you to do a commission. Now do something completely different from your work. <laughs> yeah. that, that is kind of what they asked me. But I've had that happen. Yeah. yeah. And I said, yes, yeah. because I really wanted to do that. It, it it was a challenge for me as well. If it was, if they had asked me now to do a portrait of their CEO, I would have said no. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, the people listening can't see this, but I see a painting behind you that I assume is your painting. Mm-hmm. And um, I can see it's floral, abstract floral. I can see how it could translate to sort of a nautical thing. The shapes could easily be sea creatures. So it's not that far of a stretch. No, no. And I think the the piece that I did create for them was still in my style. And it right. was still, it still felt me. I wasn't completely butchering my creative vein. <laughs> right. Not, not like when somebody saw me drawing nudes and flowers and said, I was doing that on my car. And, and some guy said, can you paint a fighter plane on my truck? <laughs> Yeah, no. No, sir. <laughs> it has to it still has to speak yeah. to you. It still has to speak to your creative soul, right? Definitely. And it did. So So how did you go from that one first request? Did you just go, "Oh, commissions. Now that was fun. Let me figure out how to do that." No, I was just happy to have that first piece out in the world. Right. And and how, you know, very often the universe then goes, so that worked well. Let me send you somebody else. Okay. And, and so a private client, somebody who had seen my art, contacted me and said, I want a piece for my, my staircase. Can you do that? So that was the second one. And it wasn't until the third one came to ask for a commission that I thought, hmm, I need to 
set up a system because I'm a fan of systems. And mm-hmm. so that's what I did. I'm a fan of the idea of systems. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I am but, sure you have a lot of systems. Uh, my system is called winging it. <laughs> <laughs> so people always think of systems as, well, that's kind of like, you know, your Excel spreadsheet of boxes and, and, and things like that. But a system can be anything, you know, it, it, it can be uh, uh, an email template that you have. It can be mm-hmm. uh, a set way of you dealing with certain things that you're being asked. Like if you have requests for your time that you don't want to honor, how can you set up a proactive way of saying no? Because right. then it's prepared and you don't have to react to something. So whenever you have something set up so you don't react but create mm-hmm. your response, that's a system. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you create a system then related to commissions? So I was like, okay, well, how? So there's two things. One was I need a page on my website that talks about commissions so that people can see that this is what I do. And then I need to, I want to explain to people how I work and how they can work with me. Because for me, that is a way to attract your ideal client uh, because it tells them, hey, this is how it works with me. Here's, you go to my website, I send them to the page. And there is um, sort of a few steps outlined of how this works, this whole commission process with me. And mm-hmm. so on my website, that is that is outlined. And when they then say, okay, well, I can work with that, they contact me. And then I send them a little questionnaire. So tell me a little bit about your process. And we will definitely link to this in the show notes so that people can see the page that you send people to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, you say you have a process and then they agree with it, then they reach out. So what is your process? So when they contact me, uh, we usually, well, first I would send them the questionnaire to already get some information from them. But my goal is to get to know them a little bit better because I really want to make a very individual bespoke piece of art for them. So Mm -hmm. I want to tell a story. So I will be asking them what kind of story it is that they, that they are looking for, what kind of artwork they're looking for, where is it going to be? What is their budget? What colors do they like? What colors do they not like? Do they have any shapes that they prefer? Do they have any words that are, that matter to them? Do they have any pictures they want to be incorporated or collaged on the piece? Uh, what kind of support, you know, how, how big it's going to be, where it's going to be. And then usually if they live around my area, I would mm-hmm. go and visit them mm-hmm. to get really inspired uh, by their surrounding and their life and, and sit in the home and let that infuse as an artist into my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can also be done via Skype, right? Nowadays you can walk around with with your phone into any living room of mm-hmm. or, or wherever the painting is going of the client. Right. Right. And I think that's very important that you see who these people are, where the painting is going so that you can make it very personalized. So I know one of the issues that we have with, uh, with commissions is pricing. How do I price my work for a commission? So for me, again, I'm always coming back to my ideal client. I want to attract only ideal clients. 
And um, my experience has shown me that when I give them an idea of what my art costs, usually half of them are not my ideal clients. <laughs> so, so usually what I do, and that is my experience has shown me, is when, when you ask them what they are ready to pay for a commissioned art piece, you get a much better um, budget than had you offered a certain price. And that also gives you a very clear idea of, is this a, an ideal client or not? Because if your ideal budget is, let's say, I don't know, a thousand dollars or euros, um, and the client says, well, yeah, I had in mind a, a huge piece for like a hundred. Uh, no. <laughs> well, that's, that's when I go in and say, okay, well, for that budget, you can get a, a small drawing instead right. of a, a large mixed media piece. But it gives you immediately an idea of who these people are. Right. And, and what kind of language they speak and what kind of budget they have and what kind of art they're looking for. So mm -hmm. if they're looking for, uh, you know, a big, huge triptych for, for a hundred euros, then yeah. Or if they, they immediately launch into, oh yeah. And, and then I also want to incorporate, you know, my, my, my grandma's photo and a dog and a portrait of whatever. <laughs> then I'm like, yeah, have you seen my art on my website? <laughs> do you know what I do? <laughs> do you have examples on your commission page of these are the types of commissions that I've done and possibly even a range in price, or do you not even bring up price until after the questionnaire? I, I don't bring up price and um, because I think it's, it's very individual mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to say, I don't want to limit my ideal clients by giving them a budget because some client may not have my ideal budget, but it's still an ideal client who, right who I can benefit from in many other ways. And mm -hmm. that I think is as valuable as money. So yes, there is a price tag, but there's also a non-price tag to everything I do. So, and yes, on my website, there are, so I have my art gallery on my website, but I also mm -hmm. have on the commission page, a few examples of the commissions that I did. Nice. And we'll show some of that in the show notes. Yeah. And I think the other thing when it does come to pricing, though, that needs to be considered is that if you're doing a commission, you're doing something bespoke, something unique. So you should be able to charge more for that than you would for your normal art that you might just produce on your own for yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you put if you put those two things side by side, like a painting that you created um, on your own, that's the exact same medium size, everything compared to one that you have commissioned or someone has commissioned from you, how would you suggest people price that? Um, well, it, it depends a little bit on on the size and the support that it goes on and whatever goes in there. So that the more practical side of, of the painting. But assuming that the two pieces, the one you're doing for the commission mm -hmm. and the one you would have just done for yourself are equal in terms of medium size substrate. How would you price a commission differently from just a painting you were doing for yourself? Like a percentage standpoint, not yeah. necessarily a dollar standpoint. For me, it's it's 20 to 30% more expensive than, okay. than my normal art would be because I do spend a lot more time. You know, I go visit the customer. I 
I, you know, I really integrate their story. Um, I have more um, connections with them while I'm making the piece of art as well. That's, that's part of my process as well, that I do send them updates and pictures of the process up to a certain mm -hmm. point and only if they want to, obviously. And some video as well. I, I video all wow. the process of, of my commission. And in yeah, the that, end, that is definitely adding a lot to your, your time yeah. and energy. Also, yeah. I would say if you're creating your own piece, you can go off the planned track with it and, and just be intuitive and let the painting take you wherever you, it wants to take you. If it's a commission, you have to stick to, you know, I mean, you a have story. some leeway, of course, but you have to stick to what they, what their guidelines are. So yeah, that's and sometimes you're on a deadline as well. Yeah. 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 So I think one of the challenges in that area, when you're talking about sending them updates, things like that, I think a big issue people run into are revisions. So mm. like people coming back and saying, oh, can you change this? And can you change that? And can you change this? And if you've already negotiated a price, sort of how do you keep those revisions from being excessive or communicate with them such that you can charge for extra revisions beyond a certain point? Like, how do you handle that process? Uh, my painting process is very intuitive and layered. So um, my ideal clients do get pictures and videos while I'm creating. And my questionnaire upfront has, I think, clarified most of the questions and colors and, and, you know, any, any complaints or any changes, um, wouldn't be that big because most of the stuff is clarified beforehand in, in what they like and don't like. Mm -hmm. But if they then, I, I, I had this actually with one of the last commissions, um, I send them a few pictures and they were like, oh, but there's way too much black. And I'm like, don't worry, I, I will get there. You know, there's going to be another layer on top, but the black is needed to create contrast and depth, you know, mm -hmm. but that kind of already gave me a feedback while, you know, I'm not, I'm not bringing them a piece that is 99% final. And then they say, oh, but I don't like it. I want a revision. Uh, it's, it's. You know, after 10%, after 20% of the painting done, after 50% of the painting done, they get some photos and they can, they can comment, they can give me their feedback. And some of it I will take into consideration. And the other one is just my artist freedom of doing whatever I want because they ordered a Miranda, right? <laughs> so, so what happens if you do get through a certain part of the process and they just say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested anymore. This isn't the commission for me. Um, how would you handle a situation like that? Are you able to retain any of the, any money? Do you, do you take a deposit before you start? First of yeah, all, well, in, it depends. <laughs> ideally. So, uh, yeah. So my ideally, yes. Um, my, my process includes a sample piece. So whenever the um, agreement has been reached that, that I create a piece for them, I first create a smaller version of the final, oh, translating wow. what they have shared with me into a smaller piece. Mm -hmm. And from that, I can then, you know, they can, they can say and have all the comments. That's kind of already a pre-revision if you want. And mm -hmm. that, that kind of preempts um, a lot of the, oh, we will, we don't like your, your art. Um so do they keep that smaller piece or yes. is that considered, so they get a smaller piece and a larger piece? Yes. And so far I have never had anybody not end up 
you know, nobody has ever said, oh, thank you, but no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, if that happens, um, the, the contract will take care of it. I mean, they will owe me uh, a certain amount of deposit mm-hmm. and and I get to keep the painting, obviously. And then I do with that painting, whatever. I, I just add another layer and sell it to, to somebody cover else. cover up right? their grandma and their dog. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's easily done in my in my style of yeah, painting. Yeah, definitely. So I just collage on top of it and just paint over it and go crazy. Bye, Grandma. <laughs> bye, bye. I think that does work well for your style of painting. I think for some artists it could be more difficult depending on what they're working on. But um, but I do I do like that idea of a contract. Like you had mentioned, having a contract, and I think a lot of artists when they're starting out don't realize that that's something they might need. Mm-hmm. You know, having having a contract. And the other thing that you mentioned was having a questionnaire um, in yes. the process at the beginning. And yeah. I think that is huge to have that communication back and forth because you want to be clear on expectations, right? Mm-hmm. It's managing expectations. And starting with that questionnaire sounds amazing, Miranda, that you can get all that information right away. So I'm sure that that type of thing would be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah, it, it really creates... A sort of it, it, it's kind of already like a contract because you're asking the people what it is that they want, and then you just have to sort of translate that into a contract and add some legal clauses. But it also manages expectations and it makes the customer do a lot of work beforehand so that it doesn't surprise them once you, you get going. You know, you eliminate a lot of questions or a lot of you know, people don't necessarily understand what it involves to create a painting. So when you right. ask them all these questions beforehand, you preempt a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of doubts and a lot of revisions, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I know that you are being extremely generous today <laughs> and you have offered to share your questionnaire that mm-hmm. you give collectors. Um, with our listeners so that they can see all the types of questions that you normally ask someone. Yes. Um, So we will be providing that link in the show notes so that everyone can go out there and download this information for themselves to know exactly what types of questions are really useful and helpful. And that'll be super helpful for people who want to start offering commissions or are doing it in a less ideal way. And also for people who want to commission art and need a better understanding of the process. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And I think it, it'll help anybody to, you know, get an idea of the questions. But then what they really need to do is get clear on their own way of doing commissions and how they can adapt that questionnaire for their art and what kind of clarity do they need to get for themselves and also for their, their clients uh, in order to create these commissions, because that right. is really key. The clarity and and the pre-work is is most of the work. Yeah, I know another thing that comes up as it relates to commissions a lot is intellectual property rights and mm-hmm. copyright. So I think some collectors think that if they have purchased a commission piece from you, they basically own everything about that piece of artwork. They they own the copyright. They own, if they want to go and put it on a hundred cards or upload it to Society6 and create a million products out of it, they think that purchasing a commission may give them that right. So how do you think it's best to handle a situation like that around the intellectual property rights and that communication with your customer or your collector? And is that stuff in your contract? 
So it's already on my webpage, first okay. of all. So the page says whenever you have commissioned, you know, the copyright is 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 mine unless otherwise agreed. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is something that goes in the contract and it clearly states um, that the copyright remains with the artist unless uh, something else was agreed. And if they want, if like, for example, I create a smaller piece where I'm happy to give them that is very, very personal and I'm happy to give them the copyright so that they can make bags for the whole family, then, right. then I'm happy to, you know, to, to give them the copyright, but that obviously comes as with a price as well. Right. Yeah. Charging a premium for that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And do people take you up on that? So far they haven't. Yeah. Well, I think most people, it doesn't even occur to them probably to do that. You might even give them some ideas. When you tell it up front that, that this is the thing and then you have it in the contract as well, then there is, there is not a question. Right. And whenever there's some dispute or whatever, you, you're, you're safe, right? Right. So, yeah, that's great to be really clear about that and the expectation up front mm-hmm. and knowing that if it is something that's bespoke, you may not also want to go create a million prints yourself and sell them on your own site, right? Because they've basically paid for this commission sort of one of a kind piece. And so if you go turn around and sell it as prints, it may no longer be one of a kind, right? No, and um, I usually I usually don't put commissioned artwork on any any of the platforms or or I I hardly even put them on my site, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it's not for sale. It's been sold. And I'm mm-hmm. not putting them on any of the platforms to 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 make gimmicks out of them or anything like that. I don't I don't create prints with them either. Laura, have you done commissions? I have done some small commissions. Yes, I haven't done very many of them, mm-hmm. um, and they have been smaller in size. Um, and I think it can be it can be great for extra income. I think that it is a challenge though, if you don't manage those expectations up front, like if somebody says, Oh, I really like this and this and this piece of artwork. Can you make something like that for me? And then you create it and they go, Oh, well, I didn't really like the shape of this and this. Can you change it to be more like this? Right. Um, And you're already too far down the path. So I know Miranda with your work, it's a lot of intuitive layers of paint. So you can just kind of cover it up and move on to the next thing. But if you're doing something figurative, for example, it can be difficult to do that. And also depending yeah. on the medium you're using. So, um, so I think I have sort of maybe a love hate relationship. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I think, I think commissions can be fabulous, but I also think you have to have a tough skin and then being able to cap those revisions, I think is super important, you know, and if they go beyond that, then there is a fee associated with it. And a lot of it, like Miranda, you said is attracting the ideal client. Yes, Because if you're attracting the ideal client, then things should kind of go smoothly for you. But if you're attracting that non-ideal client, then it can go a little sideways and it might take a lot of time and energy that you weren't expecting. What about you, Nikki? So my work is harder to do revisions on than um, Miranda's. Most of the commissions that I've done have been uh, drawings of the person. So I either will take photos of them or they'll provide photos for me and it's pen and ink drawings for the most part. So there's no covering up of layers if it's not what they expected. So it's a lot of pressure and it's really pressure I put on myself because I've never had anybody say, oh, that's not what I wanted. I hate it. (laughs) Right. But I still put that pressure on myself of 
you know, I've got to get this just right. So. Yeah. And I think like Miranda, it's great that you do a small piece of work, but a lot of your commissions are larger, right? Like they might be something really huge. So you don't want to like get too far yeah, down and, the path and for on me, that. that. That takes away the pressure that Nikki was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I've definitely. done the first piece and they are like, oh, we love it. Then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I yeah. pressure is off, done a little thing. Now I can do that thing bigger. Right. Yeah. And, and I never thought about doing that, but I could do that too. If a lot of people haven't been able to necessarily have the budget for a larger piece for me. So I've done a lot of really small drawings for people. Um, and that's fine because if I have to redo it, it's not that huge of a deal. In fact, sometimes I will draw, if they've provided me several photos, different poses, I'll draw several of them and they can choose which one, or I might just give them all of them if I'm feeling generous. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, if somebody wanted a larger one, I could, I could do a small, a small version of it first. And I think that's a really good idea. I might have to add yeah. that into my, uh, undocumented process. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about building systems that support you. And I know that Miranda, you've mentioned before the, that you love a process feeling effortless. So what do you mean by that? Tell me what you mean by that. So effortless to me um, is something that just feels right. It doesn't mean that it's not a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. It's yep. just work that is not costing me a lot of effort or a lot of energy. So mm -hmm. or stress. Finding, yeah, or stress. And and finding the ideal client is, is part of that because when you have your ideal client, whatever you do with them or for them is effortless because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And whenever you set up systems to create that effortlessness, it's less work because you've created the system around it. And it's also more that you have more time left to do the fun stuff. So as soon as it doesn't feel effortless, as soon as it started to drain my energy, uh, create stress, uh, doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. I ask myself, hmm, what do I need to, what do I need to tweak here? Do I need to create a system to make it easier and save time? Do I need to let go of this, this, this person or this workshop or this system because it's, it's draining too much or it's no longer for me? Uh, what, what needs to shift so that it can become effortless again? And fun. Does I that love that. Yeah. I love that. That makes complete sense. And I have light bulbs going off of so many areas <laughs> of my work that I need to start applying that thought process to. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to talk to you about that and how, oh how my we gosh. can do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> maybe we should do a podcast about effortlessness. <laughs> I think maybe we should. Maybe, maybe it would be fun to kind of do one where you're coaching me through some of those things to help see how you can go from that, where something in your process has become too much effort, too much yeah. stress, a pain point and talk through kind of coach through how to mm -hmm. turn that into a system. I think that would be yeah. hugely valuable and yeah. maybe even drum up some coaching business for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, most, most of the clients that I coach that have this issue of it's too much work, it's too much energy, it's too much this, too much that, is usually because, well, they don't have systems and because they lead or work out of a place of reaction instead of creation. 
So in case you can't see, because you're listening to a podcast, I'm raising my hand. And so I, when you, when you constantly react, it's a lot of work because even if it's not a lot of physical work of logging and doing the thing, it's a lot of energetic work. Definitely. Because you're reacting and you have to invent things on the spot and you're firefighting a lot, et cetera. And when you have set up systems and created, you know, questionnaires mm-hmm. and, and pages that people can go to, and it's all explained already, all that pre-work and that draining yeah. stuff is taken away and it attracts the ideal client. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely better to be proactive than reactive, which kind of is the opposite of my wing it style, <laughs> but, um, I need to find a balance of the two, like doing enough of the pre-work and systems that still allows me to kind of react on the fly in good ways, not bad ways. <laughs> yeah. And once you've winged something three times, yeah. Yeah. Can you give that wing <laughs> a box or a, or a place or a, you know, right. Right. Turn it into a system. Yeah. Give it another wing so it flies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think that's a challenge. I know for me before I've gotten multiple emails that were all asking the same question. And I'm like, oh, well, I should prepare, you know, a template that I can send people. So then I... I create a template, but I don't save it anywhere convenient. And then I have to go dig through my emails and stuff to find the template. So I try to create a system, but it's not working. That is not a system. (laughs) And and my magic number here is three. Whenever I get asked something three times, I I create a system or a template or a page or or something. So that next time I don't have to rewrite the whole thing again or try to find the thing that I wrote, but didn't save. Right. Yeah, that's that makes sense. <laughs> we should do that. <laughs> oh, well, Miranda, this has been awesome talking to you about commissions and also the fact that you are going to be providing your questionnaire to everyone to download for free. Mm-hmm. I believe it's going to be at where is it located? Uh, it's going to be on my website. So there's a page created specially for it. And mm-hmm. that page is createandconnect.org slash Stardust. And we will also link to that page on our show notes. Yay. But there's there's actually one thing that I wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about. In your intro, I learned that you did a TEDx talk. I did. I would really like to hear about that. How did that come about? What was it about? We'll definitely link to it. That was uh, quite a life-changing and awesome experience, as you can guess. Yeah. Um, How did that come about? So somebody was organizing a TEDx event and in Luxembourg, and they sent out a call for, if you want to become a speaker, the, the subject was failure. If you want to become a speaker call here or write an email here. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh yeah. I, I, you know, every time I watch a TEDx, um, I'm like, I can do that. I have <laughs> stuff to talk about, you know, had you done much public speaking before that? Um, for my day job, I do a lot of public oh, okay. speaking okay. and, and I have, you know, every time I have a workshop of 10 people or something, right. that's, that's considered public speaking. Right. True. <laughs> and I, I like it. So I was like, well, 
let me see how much I like it. So, okay. you know, for a bigger audience and a big name thing. And so I, I called them, didn't think, you know, didn't think anything was going to come of it. It's TEDx after all. But uh, they, they called me back and they said, yes, we want you. So I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what did, what did <laughs> I do? Now I have to actually do this. <laughs> exactly. So, but it was really well organized as you would think, you know, be, it being TEDx. We were coached by a storyteller and a presenter of, you know, how to how to present yourself, how to public speak, how to mm -hmm. turn whatever you have to say into a story so that it becomes engaging and fun so that people nice. don't, you know, want to listen to it. And and I did it. And and I was really scared and but I did it scared. And that's the only way we can live life, right? Brilliant. Doing it scared. Yep. And it was amazing. So has that led to any other opportunities? Um, I have met quite a few interesting speakers um, uh -huh. at TEDx. Um, and it hasn't led to, you know, Oprah didn't call, but... Uh, <laughs> She's but, about to any minute. Right? <laughs> but whenever I mention it, it's a jaw dropper. Well, it's excellent social proof. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and so do you want to do more public speaking like that on that, those type of topics? I would love to actually. Okay. Universe. You hear that? Universe. <laughs> yeah. TEDx uh, like talks. I'm happy to do them. <laughs> awesome. So Miranda, where else can our listeners find you online? Um, the best place to go would be my website because everything else, all the other social media links are on there. And my website is createandconnect.org. Thank you, Miranda, so much for being here. We've really enjoyed our conversation. I enjoyed it too. It was great. Thanks for having me. It's been great getting to know you a little bit. I've been hearing Laura talk about you for a while. So it's nice to <laughs> talk And hopefully face -to -face. we can meet soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to come to one of your retreats. Are you going to pick them up again once it's safe to travel and everyone's vaccinated? Once these crazy times slow down a little bit yeah. less crazy. Sure. And awesome. also Miranda lives in Luxembourg, which is the land of like storybook castles. It's amazing. Ooh. Well, I have never been there. It's the only Grand Duchy in the world. Yeah. I don't have any idea what that means. Google it. It just, it, it just means it's cool. It's just a really cool. It takes you like 30 minutes to drive across the country, but it's a really cool country. Nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> if you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a review. Visit startasociety.com slash Miranda to read the show notes and to get links to all of the topics that we discussed. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.